Hello, my name's Nikki Pope, your host for this edition of the Respectfully podcast. On this recording, I'm joined by a man who I think I have known for a long time and yet I perhaps haven't known him very well at all. It's funny how that can sometimes happen with a famous name, somebody whose reputation goes before them. And yet it was only on sitting down to chat that I really felt that I got to know Nick Irwin. You know, you always want to say things that are, are kind of from the from the heart, and um, and I, you know, and I've told you a couple of things today that I've never told people before. I feel you only say that when you feel relaxed and you feel it's the right place to do it. You know, I was doing things online for a few people, and 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 they were great, and I loved them in, in lockdown. But then I listened back to them and thought, oh, I, I didn't say that. Nick began his hairdressing career in the mid-80s in the north of England, moving to London and working for a long time with Tony and Guy and Anthony Muscolo. He's gone on to be the global creative director of TG International and now is flying solo with a fantastic career as a session stylist, a leader of teams. He does a lot of work with the Fellowship for British Hairdressing and in his most recent role as a global ambassador for Schwarzkopf Professional. He had so much to say. I know you're going to find this a very interesting chat. Welcome to my respectfully podcast studio, Nick Irwin. Nice to see you. Yeah, I mean, I'm honoured, Nicky, to, um, to spend some time with you and talk to you. Well, I'm very excited about this, and I was thinking of how to introduce you, and then I thought you should introduce yourself. What do you, What's on your passport? What's your job description? Um, hairdresser. It's uh, hairdresser on my passport. So, yeah, and I, it's a funny one. I always talk to people about this, but people ask you what your profession is, and, and at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just a, a good old-fashioned hairdresser no matter what I do so yeah I'm, I'm very proud of it as well. I noticed that you said I'm just a good old-fashioned hairdresser why do hairdressers always put the just in there? Um, I think you know what it is and you're absolutely right I think because it, it is a profession that is esteemed much higher to, to a lot of other people but I think when you're in it you, you we, a lot of hairdressers are very humbled by what they do um, so I think they and I come from a very working-class background and family so maybe that's my angle on it, where how I sort of fell into it by accident and things like that. So, but um, but it's certainly not. I'm not. I'm not putting it down. No, that's. I must say Absolutely that. I'm certainly not. not putting our industry down. What do people say to you when you say I'm a hairdresser at a party or a non non hair event? What's the first thing out of their mouths? Um, they, they tend to ask you what you do with their hair. That's, that yeah. always tends to be the first thing, which which is just the worst thing to a hairdresser. Um, do you do you ever lie and not tell somebody you're a hairdresser? Very rarely, because I I'm, I'm not a very good liar, so I I can't I sort of, and I try and juice it up a bit sometimes depending where I am. If I'm sort of on the, you know, if I'm out for a I don't know a fashion thing, then I'll talk a bit more about being a session stylist. But the bottom line is I'm I do hair. I'm a hairdresser. Brilliant. And can you ever see yourself not doing hair? So I'll just expand on that a bit. You know, for example, like if you go into some aspects of education or training or designing things, you might, some people might move away from the actual dressing or cutting of hair. Mm. Can you see yourself ever doing that? Um, it's a tricky one because I think the stage I'm at in my career right now is that I, I feel probably doing some of the best hair that I've ever done. Saying that, my role has, my, my, the way I work these days has many different hats and so there could be creative offshoots where I could be overseeing what hairdressers might be doing or I think I could certainly go down if I was offered something that was more of a 
a kind of not a corporate role but a role that would probably be overseeing what creatives were doing like a visionary like a visionary then then i could certainly see myself doing that as i get older right but, that, but that's down the line i'm you know i'm still very much in it and and um still and very I, much hands on the very hands on and very obsessed with it all yeah, yeah. broadly in the nicest possible way, you've had a long career, mm. a long journey to mm. get here today. Mm. What are the important bits that you retain on your journey? Just tell us a little bit of a story of how you got here. Um, oh, wow. Well, you know, I mean, I have said this many times, but my story is probably similar to a lot of hairdressers out there. But my my father um, couldn't was was quite a disciplined man, but he he was he was a drummer, and he would be away a lot and. I would get into trouble at school and things and he had a friend who had a salon who was well known in the city that way where we lived and said look I think you should go and work for him on a Saturday and I went really to go and work on a Saturday to keep me out of trouble right and just that first day of got walking into the salon and the theatre I, mean, I can remember it like it was yesterday the smell the 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 people in there the, you know I, I, I was 14 years old um, and just being exposed to this wonderful world, um, it was just it was magical. And and so yeah, so so from that day on, I always knew from that moment that this this was going to be my career. Yeah. Mm. And going forward from that, what other sort of defining moments? So from fourteen, you then became a trainee, and then what what would be the sort of the benchmark? Yeah. Points? Well, I I worked in I worked in. Worked in a city called Carlisle, which is on the on the sort of English Scottish borders, uh, as an apprentice, and then I went to work for for Saxe in the northeast, uh, in Newcastle, um, and and worked with Gary Hooker at the time with with Saxe, who who had the the franchise in in Northumberland Street in Newcastle, their flagship store, and that was great, and got exposed to sort of you know photographic work and competitions and. All of that stuff that that they were doing at the time, you know, the L'Oreal Colour Trophy and all of them incredible events, and and then my light bulb moment was really, I think around about 80, 1988 was when I went to, uh, I think it could have been, I think it was Sun International, but I'm not quite sure if it was. I but I remember seeing Anthony Muscolo and the Tony Guy artistic team on stage for the first time, and was absolutely just obsessed from that moment onwards not not just with the hair that they were doing but the way they looked their attitude it, it was like it was yeah. everything that i wanted to be yeah um growing up in the north of england and dressing a certain way to kind of fit in and looking at the way they dressed and it being london and just and the, the music they were playing and i, I remember the show i mean clearly um <laughs> it's incredible so that was a pivotal moment for me um, where I kind of felt right one day I'm going to be working I'm going to be working for those guys yeah um, and then you know my dream came true I, I sort of ended up going to work for them and, and started working with them early on in the 90s and ended up in Australia uh, and worked out there for a few years and that was a, a brilliant time of my life because that was you know at a young age probably early 20s um, was artistic director for them for Australasia so I would travel to Japan and Vietnam and Thailand and all of these incredible countries and cultures that I'd never been to, never been exposed to, and was teaching them the, the methodology of the Tony yeah. and Guy system and, and and they just absolutely adored us out there. So you would go to these cities, uh, these countries, and you would be treated incredibly well by the by these beautiful people. 
Um, so that was a, you know, again, a, a time of my life that I really cherish, uh, a very special time. And then moving, coming back to London, sort of mid nineties, you know, Britpopper was happening and, you know, Oasis and Blur and all that stuff was just right at the height. And, and then and TG and Tony and Guy launched a product line uh, based around a, a stick called Bedhead. Yeah. Um, and then that revolutionized, yeah, I became absolutely. an iconic product yeah. for us at the time. And, um, and I remember it again, remember these are just the reason I'm telling you these things, because they're very important pillars in my career that I remember them like they were yesterday and where I was. And there's always that saying that you can, sometimes you can smell something. It takes you right back to a time yeah, or, yeah, very or, evocative. You can, or you can yeah. hear a track or a music or whatever. And, and that stick, I'll tell you what, every time I see that bloody <laughs> stick, wherever it is in the world, it takes me back takes to that, that. that takes me back to that time. And I think from my point of view, coming in, I came into hairdressing in the 90s, what Anthony and the Muscolo family were doing was that sense of team, mm. which they were really the first to build mm. real teams, I think. I think that generosity of sharing, mm. you know, and, and really like passing on the knowledge, I think, personally, I think, and I'm sure a lot of people join me, Anthony was, for me, the real first one that said, I know how to do something and I'll tell you how That's to do right. it. And he really shared. That's right. And I think, you know, looking back on that time, late 80s, late 80s early 90s, um, I think, you know, we were massive, huge fans of Sassoon and their way of working, but it was a very, it felt quite untouchable for me. It felt that it, it was a million miles away from what I could do and I was, it scared me their precision and their, 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 they were well-read and articulate and all the things. And I was I was more punk than that. I was more, you know, scruffy. I wanted a spiky haircut. I, yeah. I, you know, I was just, you know, I was the opposite. And the Anthony side of the industry sort of promoted that. Um, and absolutely, and he, he, was a, he was the Pied Piper and would, you know, anybody who was anybody at the time creatively would come, came through those doors and, and um, and I think also the fact that he was a true creative. I always talk about this. I talk about Anthony with great fondness, and you know I, lo I love him dearly. But and a lot of people don't realise that he's way beyond just somebody who does hair. Yeah. You know, he's the vision that he had, um, and anybody who spent time around him or you know had the chance of maybe being to one of his houses and and how he works. I mean, they live and breathe what we do 24-7. So He's almost concept hairdressing, isn't he? In the yes. same way somebody, another brand would have a concept store. If hairdressing had a concept store, You're it would be Anthony right. Miscolo. You're <laughs> absolutely right. And he's, there's nobody, and I've worked with lots of other people, people that, even people that he's close to, like Robert Labetta, and, and who are all incredible artists in their own right. Um, and there's similarities there, but there's nobody quite like Anthony. Anthony is somebody that can, and I think also it's a bit like a clever band a, a music band that can can do incredible music that the kind of real heads understand but also the, the pop kids love as well yeah, yeah it's that crossover appeal and he always had that and i think the, that sort of vision to be able to see something that was very cool that you take say from a calvin klein ad that was a really simple cool kind of kate moss kind of vibe and then make a build a haircut around it and sell it through their salons yeah. as a as a as a technique as a hairstyle as a concept, but married with the right products to, to create the look was ingenious and and so it was a very magical time for yeah. us and um, and yeah and and you know absolutely wouldn't wouldn't be where I am today if it, if it wasn't for that sort of that period of time. So in that in the TG world, you were doing lots of shows, whether it was on the fashion shows, shows for the brand, educational shows. 
And then you you moved mm. in uh, 2014, something mm. like that. Mm. How how do you cope with that change from your, you're in this very strong family network mm. and then you kind of went independent? Mm. How do you reconcile that in your head? Because you obviously love being part of a team mm. and and co-creating was it well, challenging I, or were you just ready I'll for it I'll tell you I'll tell you Nick and I've never said this on on I've never been that vocal about I probably had a bit of a breakdown at the time a bit of a, a bit of a I don't know whether it was necessarily a nervous breakdown but it was certainly an emotional breakdown where it was a complete uh reset in everything my outlook on on my career my life where was I going um there was a there was all of that history that immense sort of thing on my shoulders yeah there was the there was the very um, you know, anybody who knows knows me and, and Anthony and, and, and Pat and the family, we, you know, we and my wife, Stacey, and you know, we were it was incestuous. We were family, and and yeah. we we pretty much lived together um, all those years. Even though we lived in separate houses, we we were together twenty four seven and holidayed together. And so, once that sort of is taken away, and and it, it's it's like a bereavement, or mm. or you or a part, or you divorce, or divorcing a partner that you've been with for a long time. Um, so it was heartbreaking. There was parts of it that were really devastating. And and I think it took me a long time to kind of realise... There, there's many reasons for doing it and, and reasons now that I'm, I'm I'm absolutely really, you know, I'm, I'm so glad we, we went down that route. But I, I think I think for me, I'd got to a point in my career there where uh, uh, TG had been sold uh, and I would be, I was part of that acquisition, if you like, uh, yeah. that was sold onto Unilever. So I had new bosses. Anthony yeah. wasn't my boss anymore, even though he was my kind of confidant. And and I was given the reins there. I was given this this position as global creative director. So it was huge shoes to wow, fill. Wow, the responsibility. The responsibility to take over from Anthony. And I, could, I knew I could never take over from him because he was too too iconic and he was just impossible. But they had this vision, they being Unilever at the time, had this vision of how they wanted to see it pan out. Um, whether So knowing that Anthony wouldn't be there forever uh, and the direction I did want to take it in. And, and I, you know, I was, I was sat on the board of directors. Um, I was a shareholder in the company. I mean, you know, there was lots of benefits from it and, and learned so much. Learned, you know, I mustn't sort of look at any of this stuff as negative. I mean, I really learned a lot about you know the business side and the boardroom even though i'd learned a lot with anthony and the brothers at tg and bruno and guy when he was alive and etc i'm an immense amount of of the business side but a very different way of doing business they 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 did it as a a kind of family business even though it was you know you know was turning over a a lot of money but unilever came in it was it was a corporate culture and there was a clash yeah. So the, 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 I think my role was tr- was appointed to try and bridge the gap between the, my creative team at the time, um, the, the sort of almost a little bit of a custodian between Anthony and them, because yeah. uh, we had a bond, which that fractured a bit. That was always quite tense because there was a lot of things he disagreed with, with which which were going on, and and so it was an, it was a very tough time. It was a, it was a brilliant time, but it was a tough time. It was a massive learning curve. So. Yeah. I, I want to tell you this because they were the kind of reasons, you know, around 2014. And I'd also met, I'd re, um, I'd sort of, I'd worked with Rankin in the 90s, the, the yeah. photographer Rankin. Um, and, and him and Anthony were great friends. And then by chance, Unilever in 2010 said to me, would you consider going back into doing a bit of some session work? Because I'd left Tony and Guy 
in the early 2000s to, to, to be a session stylist. Uh, would you consider doing it again? And I said, absolutely. And then we were doing all the sort of the, the international shows, New York, Paris, Milan. So that all happened. And then within all of that, I ended up meeting, uh, seeing Rankin. Yeah. And shooting with him for his, his new for his magazine, his new magazine at the time called Hunger, which I'm now the hair editor of, which yeah. is just bizarre. Fantastic. Um, and and but what? So they, I all of a sudden got this new taste, um, that was very. It was a. It, it felt, and again, I haven't said this before. It felt almost like that thing I had with Anthony. Um, when we start, when we left Tony and Guy and started TG, the yeah. the, the, the better studios, it was yeah. that 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 creative. I don't know what it is. It's just that zeitgeist. You coming together and everything just being right at the time. So, so I felt there was this thing happening with me and Rankin, mm-hmm. um, creatively, and I just you, it's so addictive that stuff. And did I stay on footballers' wages, working for Unilever and all the yeah. perks that go with it, yeah. and become a corporate guy with a suit, because that's the way it was going. Yeah. And my slowly my creative stuff was being kind of drawn out of me. Yeah. Um, or do I take the plunge? We took a big plunge <laughs> financially. Yeah. And going to what we what we what I did with, with Rankin at the time so the emotional so it's almost head over heart in it a was way, it was decision. definitely head over heart we just spoke about it before and yeah. I think it's definitely that and and um you know my wife you know um, Stacy my wife anybody knows Stacy again incredible like she stood by me that you know she was against it all at the beginning because she knew we would lose that thing with Anthony and Pat and the team and all of the stuff but it but it had to, I think it just had to happen for me to and I was still felt I was old enough to be a uh, sort of young enough, not old enough, young yeah. enough to be able to go into that next chapter and create something else. Right. Um, so that was kind so of. So it was quite a big turning point. It was a massive turning yeah. point for me, and probably the biggest turning point in my career, to be honest with you, um, because you go from the security of of you know private healthcare, you know all of that stuff, yeah, yeah. Um, you know flying business class everywhere you know all the before. things we aspire to all, all these the things years. we aspire to yeah. you know i would land in new york there'd be my car would be i mean all the really lovely perks you know that went mm. with it and once that's gone and now it doesn't mean anything to me because no. at the time you think hold on a minute yeah why am i not sitting in front of the plate anymore <laughs> why and silly things really really yeah. quite you know when you after what we've just been through in the last 18 months that my my what my, my views on all of that stuff has completely changed but at the time, I thought, God, I've made a huge mistake. And, and, um, but I think the learning, um, the, the stuff I was learning new in, in, from a creative engine point of view in, in, that, in, the, in the session world, even though I'd done it and I was very well equipped to do session hair, there was a new way of processing it all, yeah. um, which I hadn't been exposed to. And, and I learned something very, very special, which has now got me to where I'm at at, at this current current time. Um, so, so currently, so do you feel almost perhaps what you're saying in the last sort of, I don't know, eight or so years is yeah. more about your brand. So we've now got brand Nick Irwin yeah. rather than you being part of and somebody I, else's I, yeah, brand. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that's a really good point, Nikki, because I don't think we set out to do that. I mean, I think... You know, early on, you know, we created the website, we did this, we did that, but we never sort of said, oh, well, you know, we, we can do education for you or we can, it was never like that. I kind of wanted to, to break away a little bit from 
the professional side to an extent. I wanted to really put all my eggs in the session basket. Um, or oh, that was the plan. Yeah. That was the plan. And then, and then, and then, funny enough, I got approached uh, a couple of years into into after leaving two thousand and seventeen. I think it was. I got approached to 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 do some stuff for the fellowship, uh, which that was a whole another thing that happened out of the blue. Yeah. Um, but but I, I think you're absolutely right. I think I think there was there was a there was a subconscious brand building of because all of a sudden the platform like Instagram and all yeah. of those things were starting to really elevate. So of course your work you've got a new kind of platform to sh- to show the world your work. Obviously all the trade magazines, you know, yourself, yeah. yourself, you know, all the brilliant things that you do. And and so just but it was it but there were kind of different feel about it. Mm-hmm. It became something else yeah um and you know your relationships with people like i don't know eugene's one of my best friends all of that just became a lot more important to me it was really weird yeah. it was well, you'd a, made space for it yeah so time. There were, now there was time and space to do that to see these people so what do we have in portfolio nick Irwin now we've got the role with hunger magazine yeah. we, which i know is important you do a lot of us will know a lot of the work you do with the fellowship and probably don't know some of the things you do yeah. i know you're a great team builder yeah You've got well. I, 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 2017. I was asked uh, by the president at the time, um, and I remember it because I still used to drink then. I don't drink anymore. Uh, <laughs> I, um, but I, at the British Hairdressing Awards, and I, I, I said yes to taking over the fame team. I think they, somebody had dropped out at the last minute, and they came to me, and I said to my wife, "Should I do it?" She said, "Absolutely. I think it's good for you." So we did it, and we and then I got ill, which is really weird. I don't know if people know this, but I got very sick at the very beginning of, of taking that team on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in hospital for a few for a few well for almost a month, and and had a really weird blood thing, and was quite sick, and that reevaluated a lot of stuff. So those that poor team, bless their hearts, their, their mm-hmm. first few months with me wasn't great. It wasn't a good start, but I ended up doing three years for the Fame team, and and again, that whole thing of. The reason I want to talk about this is because I'd said to Bruno at the time, I said, Bruno, you know, if if we if I come in and do this, it's important that I don't try and do something that maybe an Errol would do for you or, you know, a Jamie Stevens or, a, or a, you know, or Gary Hooker or those types yeah. of hairdressers because I, I'm not in that arena. And I think, but if you let me bring some of the stuff I'm doing in the session game. Yeah maybe expose them to ranking and the team over there and, and some of my session friends to do, you know, yeah. mentoring days. And they were really open to it. And I thought that was really brave of them. That was for them to let their... So the first year, the four of them probably struggled with that a little bit, thinking they were going to get something else. But yeah. by the end of it, they loved it. Yeah. But the second year, that team became... They're my... I mean, even now, they're my go-to four kids who I just... I mean, not kids anymore, but they're all yeah. super successful. And one of them is my first assistant, Ellie Bond, who, who wow. joined me. Yeah. So Paddy, who works for, for Rainbow Run, but he's also Duffy's oh, yeah. uh, main, main yeah. team. Uh, and he's an incredible colorist and stylist. Um, so, yeah, so, we, so there was, so the, the, again, there was just this, this these, the zeit, it was this ch- chance yeah. meeting of the each right, other. The, was, right yeah, the right time. How important do you think things like the fellowship are, the, the sort of, the key things in hairdressing that have always been going on that that join brands and hairdressers and salons together how where do you where do they sit in your on your radar um i think 
I've got to be careful what I say here because I don't want to offend anybody. But I think there's, I think they're absolutely crucial, without a doubt. But I do think people need to go, rethink what is actually going on out there and yeah. what does young, what do young people want? Yeah. Let's not. Absolutely, it's about some of us and and the older ones that have been around for years and been able to meet meet at a luncheon or a dinner or all of that stuff's fantastic. It's lovely. I'm all about progression. I'm all about the next phase of the industry and and I would love you know the next generation to go well he, you know he changed the game a bit for us he did this and he did that and and that's yeah. that, that's what turns me on now so i think these organizations and and, and other uh you know brands that, that do this stuff have the power to change and i think yeah. other industries are absolutely flying because they if you look at say cosmetics look at makeup brands like pat mcgrath and 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 you know um charlotte tilbury i mean just, just you know, name a couple, but they they've created this sort of theatre and this thing where young people want to be part of it. And I think we tend to be a little bit nostalgic in here. We can get a yeah. little bit yeah. stuffy and think, well, you, you can't do it that way because we didn't do that in the sixties, or we, you know, Vidal created this, and we absolutely need to preserve a ton of that stuff. Um, and that's why you know I love you know talking and working with you, Nikki, because I think you're progressive. You're always moving things forward and, and I think that's what it needs it needs a visionary to be able to say we're not just going to hang on to everything that's it we're fine with the way it is yeah it's like how do we create a new way of thinking a new platform and a new way of processing everything to move things forward yeah so I think it's I think it's I think they're crucial because they, they have the they have the sort of strength to bring everybody together but I think things need to be adjusted they, well they need to breathe and and to draw in new breath and mm. to expel mm. out old breath if you like they're, if they're living things that are going to remain important they need to to grow That's right. like anything does and i think you need to look at your if you're not happy with your the sort of the numbers and the memberships and things like that or the people that you're attracting to the same people and you're not getting new there's a re, you've got to look at that i mean yeah. any big organize any big company or any great brand are all can, can I mean they might have their core values and stick to what they're about and, and what their sort of you know their manifesto is if you like um but they're constantly adapting and moving forward in, in, and I think that's sometimes as an industry we claim to be forward thinking yeah the minute the minute I and I'll tell you a quick story like when I for instance get somebody a young hairdresser to maybe come and assist on my team that's it that's more salon based if I tell them to do something in a different way, they can they consider it wrong sometimes. They, they, yeah. And it's that discipline thing of, so it's, it's just letting go. It's just how you see things and how you progress and what learn works. from other industries. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, I, one of the things, you know, and I, I tell people this a lot, I was on a call yesterday with some corporate people and, 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 we, and I said, you know, the things that I learn by sitting in a... Um, around on a creative board if you like for hunger magazine and for, for that group the, the sort of dazed uh group that rankin and his and his team that's amazing because they have they have an agency that deals with incredible brands from 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 rolls royce to, to i don't know to vaseline i mean right across the board i mean real large spectrums yeah but what is there's this thread that always runs through everything and that is the people that are behind it creatively are always pushing forward for the next thing. They're not. They don't sit on their on their kind of morals of what the company is. Only they yeah. think, okay, this is what we are. This is what we are as a brand. But how do we 
I, and everybody uses the word disruptive. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in it's got a bit dumbed down. I know, yeah. I know. But, but it's that thing. But it yeah. is. It's about, you know, p- putting your neck out there. And, and I think as, as hairdressers, we can certainly... It, that stuff has been unbelievable towards... It's really helped me get where I'm, where I'm, where I'm at at the moment. So, yeah, so it's, it's, yeah. it's great. Well, how, what's your take on movement of people out of salons to, to be independent or to set up their own businesses? Do you see that as a rather transitory wave of thing that's happening at the moment and perhaps it'll swing back? Do you, does it worry you or do you think bring it on? Mm. What's your take It's on a double-edged that? sword. I, I think, I think you, you could have, you could get very diverse you know, opinions on this uh, depending on who you talk to. But I, I because I'm freelance, because I am a freelancer, um, I, I see, I see the benefit of people wanting to sort of be their own, uh, their own boss. At the same time, I, I've got some great friends of mine who have very successful salons around the world, who I don't want to be derogatory towards. But, but, but there's a reason why the hairdressers are feeling the need to go off and do this stuff. So we have yeah. to look at that first yeah. and make the environment that they're in, if it is going to be an employed situation in the salon, to be the best situation that that person doesn't even think about wanting to go off and, and do something which is separate to what they're doing in the salon. There's that element. The other thing also is that we are... We, we are we are we are changing you know people's lifestyles are very very different um, you know somebody might I don't know be working might want to color at 9 30 in the evening out of salon hours and so there's root so this is it's it's just things have changed a lot and I think people's buying um, the way that they you know they shop online and all yeah. of those things is all linked to this stuff um, so I, I, I definitely see the benefit. I think it gives people more freedom in, in terms of, you know, in, in charge of their own destiny. Um, it, it scares me a little bit because, I, I, you know, salons are folding and, and people are losing their businesses because of it to an extent. Um, but I, I do believe that, you know, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to upset a lot of people by saying this, but I really believe that if you've got a, a really watertight situation, your team ain't going to go anywhere. Yeah. That's that's my personal belief. Yeah, yeah, and I think some of it is is very much a sort of knee jerk to what's happened in the last eighteen months, and I, I feel as though it'll sort of. I think there's panic. Up. I think yeah. people have kind of panicked and thought, hold on a minute, I can get by on on this and doing and you know visiting yeah. my, my clients at home or whatever it might their situation yeah. is or rent a chair somewhere or. Um, but there's but there's a real lack of security in that as well. Yeah, it's not and easy. I've, I've learned I've learned that you know by what I've been talking about. You know, I yeah. going from working as for a corporate organisation where that monthly yeah. that, that chunk of money hits the bank and you go, hey, you're yeah, excited and it's lovely. But so, what, you know, I'm always even now I'm chasing the dollar all the time. You know, we we're, we're constantly <laughs> sort of difficult. you know hustling. So yeah, absolutely. What has the last eighteen months? What has the COVID experience meant to you and and your family? What What's it brought to you, or what's it taken away? What's it? Um, I, I think, like many people, it's allowed me to re- reassess everything and look at what's super important to me. Um, being way more present, you know, and what I mean present, I mean in the moment with my family, and not just constantly on my phone or on a, on a call to somebody or a or even a Zoom. So because yeah. you know, we just became obsessed with yeah. everything on on the screen. Um, yeah. Which is ironic, but I I think the most the most important thing that hit me was how important my, my wife and and, uh, and you know my daughter are to me. That was that was 
so so I think it's made me a, hopefully a better father and husband. I mean, they might say different. Um, <laughs> I'm sure um, but and I and I also think it kind of gave me. I think spiritually, I I sort of did a lot. I think it's really interesting the research I have to do for work, and I go down real kind of rabbit holes sometimes of trying to go off on these tangents of you know finding inspiration and whatever. But what it also learns you to do is to you become a bit of a detective online, and you. So I started to dig and and look at lots of things that were a bit more spiritual and. And I had this, I had this a bit of a, a, again, another light bulb moment that I felt, I turned 50 in lockdown. And um, I just felt, I thought to myself, I've got hopefully at least another 20, 20 years on, on the planet. So I want to make those 20 years really, really special. What do I need to do to get to, get to like where there's, you know, way more peaceful with myself and, and, yeah. and sort of more, you know, not as, not as, stressed out and anxiety and all of those things so I think spiritually it took me to it took me to a different place and I and I feel much calmer um, yeah. and I feel more relaxed even though I, I'm passionate and I talk you know yeah. a million miles an hour but inside there was a lot of racing that I feel is kind of really dumbed down and, and in a good way yeah um, and I think I think I think um, you're about to hold on to that yeah absolutely so it's, a, so it's a positive. Yeah. It's a positive for me. And, and you know, and we had some other things that didn't quite work out. The brand I was involved with, that didn't, that failed and, or it's failed. It just, you know, we, we couldn't sustain it and all things like that and lots of things. But I just didn't want to dwell on the negative. I just thought this, you know, we yeah. could, we're, we're alive, we're breathing, we're, we're all, my, my family are healthy. And, and they were, that was really important stuff to me. Yeah, yeah. And it humbles you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Where do you? Where are you going from here? What interests you? What pulls you forward into the future? You know, we talk words like being creative and building things and so on. But what what drives you? Because you've done so much mm. and explored so much. I, I think I think now it's about we need to start thinking about trying to change the game a little bit in hair and and really and we 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 briefly touched on it about. You know, a lot of other industries are collaborating with each other and that's how they're moving forward and things are emerging together. You know, you, you've only got to look at, I don't know, you know, somebody like Virgil Abloh, from, who's, who's now at the head of Louis Vuitton men. You know, he was like, you know, he had a skate brand, you know, and, 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 and he was a sneaker brand and, and now he's at the head of, you know, he's the king of Paris. Yeah. He's a luxury house. So fusing things, collaborations can, can really elevate you and take things to a whole different level. And I think as an industry, we need to do more of that. Yeah. I want to be the custodian of that. I want to give the, the Hunger Magazine, for instance, and it's taken me a long time to convince them, but I want to give young hairdressers that might not necessarily be, and brands, that might not necessarily be session hairdressers as such, to say, look, we're going to, you know, we, I really like what you're doing. We want to give you 10 pages in the next issue. We want to present you in a different way or do stuff online with you. So there's, so there's those elements uh, that I want to do and I think also that if, if I you know I've just signed a, a, um, a, a deal as a, as a global styling ambassador with with, uh, with Schwarzkopf and, and you know I'm good friends with, with Simon Ellis over there and, and I've known him for a long time and, and um, so we've got some nice things planned for the future but the, being with a being with a, a big organization like that is is that's really can be fantastic because I think they're, they're very respectful um, we've been having some incredible conversations about what potentially we can do together moving forward. 
and when you have that a brand that has that kind of you know uh, power yeah I don't like using yeah. the word power but it, it, it is you it, need yeah. it yeah you, power you, is energy you, it's energy and it allows you to be able to get some of these 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 sort of ideas that that you know sometimes are just thoughts to actually get them out there and that they can you can create that sort of space for them so so the, the future's bright I'm, I'm actually really I'm quite buzzed up about where we're going with the industry I, I, I don't feel I know there's lots of people suffering still out there but you know yeah. we're at a turning point and I think that that's that's evident that's okay, what's okay. going on out there so the next 20 years are going to count yeah what would you have you given any thought what do you want your your legacy to be Nick Irwin's wow. legacy well I mean I've got this <laughs> I know where I want to be in 20 years I want to, I want to, I want to buy a house in Ibiza and go and live there and and, <laughs> and, and, and have dogs and just me and my wife and, and just be hippies that's my that's my that's my vision um no but i i've been on a serious note i think i would i would love uh i think like i said it's about the next generation for me so we need to really it's finding what that zeitgeist is what's that next big thing that's really going to reinvent you know the, the industry and and i think there's been you know i've been very lucky i felt i was part of a a moment in time with with anthony and tg there was Sassoon with their education but I think Tony and Guy and TG did something very special in the 90s that kind of changed the game. Yeah. Um, whether that would ever happen again, I, I do not know um, because it's a very different time now. But they're the goals that you push for. And when you've been exposed to that, the, the, the bar's raised, you know. So that's, that's, where, um, that's where hopefully, you know, people look back and say, well, you know, he, he changed the game for us a bit. Brilliant. Thank you very much. It's okay. I think that's amazing. What a brilliant conversation. I feel quite... Um... I don't know, I feel oddly calm, but also quite positive. Yeah, I do. Thank you very much. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Respectfully Podcast with Nikki Pope. If you like our conversations, then jump onto your podcast provider, whether it's Spotify or iTunes, and check out our library of conversations over the past few years in hairdressing. There's sure to be something to interest you. And hopefully, liking what you hear, go on to rate and review us as it helps drive us up the charts and makes the Respectfully podcast easier to find. Until next time, thank you.